Well, if you don't know me, my name is Meg Cho, um, and I am really excited to be here this morning. It's an honor. Um, I've been a part of One Live City Church from its very beginnings, almost seven years, coming up on seven years. Um, and I also get to be a part of our peacemaking and justice team. So I'm really excited to be leading this panel um, conversation today. I, the things that are going to be shared are going to be inspiring. If you're like me, you'll cry. And I'm, I'm hoping that we'll just get to see um, and witness what the kingdom of God is like. Like in the Gospels when we say, oh, it's like that and it's like that. I hope that that's what we see today. Um, so also, I'm really grateful to be a part of a church body that recognizes the value of digging deep and taking you know, four or five weeks to study what the way of peace is, what the way of Jesus is, and what that means. Um, because it's no secret at all that our world is in a very divisive um, time in which differences are on full display, and the divisions within our world are you know, just as prevalent within the church. Um, and, and they're flying at us, like reminders of them are coming in these like little mic drop quotes on social media, or they're coming as people are asking you to create new labels to define what kind of Christian are you exactly, or um, you know, just these different ways that, that we're all trying to navigate a season that um, we can't shy away from these, these questions and these um, issues that tend to be causing division, right? And yet Jesus tells us that, he, that his way is the way of peace. So, um, you know, I, I came from a church background that generally taught the way of peace was to just kind of avoid all of these conversations or um, to not be caught up in stirring the pot, to go towards something like a tension or a conflict, um, certainly a relationship with someone who might be a them in an us-them, context um, or an enemy wouldn't be the thing to do. That would be um, just somewhere we don't go. There were conversations and topics that were just considered taboo. And uh, these complexities or vulnerabilities that are in, the, you know, in, in our stories, in the stories of the people of God, would be overlooked because we just don't go there. We just don't go there. In fact, it was even suggested that if we could all decide to collectively elevate the teachings or um, the ideas of kind of that morality or that moral high ground of peace, then if we just focus there, our peer-to-peer -peer human relationships that come with all those complexities and vulnerabilities will just kind of get forgotten or like they'll just get dust under the rug and we won't notice the residue of the brokenness and the pain, the things that we carry. It'll just kind of fade out. But as we've been studying together the way of Jesus and the way of peace, we've actually been invited into something. Quite the opposite, rather than avoiding, we've invited, been invited to just go there, to go there. Um, and so where, right? We've invi been invited to go on a kingdom pursuit of shalom, to go towards brokenness in hopes of participating in restoration towards wholeness. 
to go to spaces in ourselves um, that, that allow that Holy Spirit's conviction um, to, to ask us questions, to help us better understand the intent behind God's commandments. To go to abide in the love of Jesus as we're in spaces of loving others. To go into postures of humility, forgiving others, washing the feet of others, even in pursuit of reconciliation with our enemies. And so my hope for today is that while you're listening to um, our panelists share, you'll get a glimpse of where they've been going, um, where they're still at, both externally and internally, as they're responding to this invitation of kingdom peacemaking in, in a very practical, maybe it even seems simple way, but a very intentional way. So um, I wanted to start with some simple introductions first. <laughs> I'll, I'll let Katie and Amanda introduce themselves as we start our first question, but I want to take the chance to introduce Martha first, and she's a guest here at One Life City. Um, welcome. <laughs> Miss Martha Sanalias is kind of a, a legend or a queen in this place, if you don't know her already. Uh, her and I know each other from previously working together at Solidarity, uh, where she continues to work as the community development lead here in the Maple neighborhood, um, like here in this building. So throughout the week, she is leading um, collaborative efforts and community events and Bible studies with women and um, all kinds of things. I'll let her share. But I wanted you to know that that's happening in our, in our church building throughout the week. So it's a total honor that we get to hear from her today, as well as from Katie and Amanda. Um, yeah, so I, I, here's my first question to ask the, the panelists. Um, in his life, Jesus demonstrates for us the way of peace and invites us to join in this work of seeking shalom. Shalom is often explained as nothing missing or nothing broken. So to seek shalom um, could mean that, that we're able to recognize things that are broken or are incomplete and participate in the work of restoration towards wholeness. So can you each share with us um, the context in which you've had these opportunities to pursue shalom and what that has looked like? And right before I ask Amanda to answer, I also want to say props to Jose Solis, who's going to translate um, to support this conversation for us. Okay, go ahead, Amanda. Good morning, everyone. I'm Amanda. Um, Chris, my husband, and I have been a part of One Life for, I think, about five years now. And for work, I am an occupational therapist over at St. Jude Medical Center, really close by here in Fullerton. So um, what I wanted to share with you guys today is an opportunity that I've had, actually, within my workplace to engage in this peacemaking and pursuit of shalom that we're talking about. So for a little bit of context, I grew up in a church where I kind of felt like um, ministry and participating in some of these things in a vocational way was really for only certain people. It was not for maybe necessarily everybody. And what you said too, Meg, about um, peacemaking being uh, maybe just the absence of conflict, somebody who literally just keeps the peace, doesn't disrupt things, doesn't cause any trouble. That was honestly my understanding for a long time, up until maybe a couple years ago, when I started to recognize that peacemaking is building bridges. It sometimes looks like uh, disrupting the broken systems that are around us in order to advocate for those who are oppressed and those who are in need. So in the midst of last year's um, summer kind of racial reckoning with everything that happened with uh, protests and whatnot, 
Um, at my work, my CEO was really wanting to engage with a lot of leaders' work and basically just said, hey, I want to start this like racial justice alliance, is what he called it, and sent out just a housewide email. We have thousands of employees. There was really no detail. It, you know, we had no idea what that would look like, but it was just respond to this email if you're interested. So seeing that and wanting to get more involved in these efforts of racial justice, which is something that's really a new territory for me too, I'm not having grown up as something that the church engages in, I'm not understanding that. You know, I saw this as an opportunity, but it felt also like a risk because I didn't really know what I was getting myself into because it was really in the early stages. So I took that chance of like, hey, I'm interested, um, came to a meeting. At one of those meetings too, you know, there's like 50, 60 plus people there, um, spoke up about something that I was really, uh, that was on my heart, that I was passionate about, and that I wanted us to kind of participate in as um, employees too, and as coworkers. So as a result of that, you know, speaking up, and um, even my voice gets a little shaky when I'm nervous talking about things, but, you know, I took that step, and then they asked me to be part of their, like, leadership team too. Um, alongside the executives, so having some frontline caregivers who were kind of steering the effort. So got a chance to be a part of that. Um, a year later, I was asked to be the co-chair um, and one of the main leaders of that alliance. So that's something that I continue to get to be a part of today and lead the efforts in uh, changing policies at our hospital in order to make sure that there is representation and equity and that we are really advocating for, especially our patients, right, who are very vulnerable as people who are sick and many of whom in our communities are um, like from Latino families, from low-income families, all these vulnerable populations that there's not always people advocating for. So we get to do that, we get to have these really meaningful conversations that are sometimes uncomfortable, but talking about race, and we're really bridging gaps between generations of employees, employees of different colors and backgrounds, and it's really a beautiful thing because sometimes when you work in a big hospital, there's maybe not a ton of overlap even within different departments, right? But something that's really beautiful is we have such a diverse group of people who are from all corners of the hospital, but we're all trying to work towards that same goal of pursuing racial justice and uh, pursuing advocating for the needs of those around us and in our community too, not just within the hospital. So I feel like as I've been able to, to participate in that over the past year, something that God was kind of showing me was this idea of peacemaking, it can feel kind of lofty, right? Like, what does that really mean? What does that really look like in an everyday way? But I feel like God was just showing me, it just sometimes is responding to one step, right? And like responding to that email and taking that little risk and then taking another risk of speaking out and just being willing as he kind of opens up doors and starts to lead you as you're trying to move in that direction to follow him that, that he will lead the way. And so I never, maybe intended to become a peacemaker, but by uh, really embracing what God has called me into, by growing closer to him and being able to really hear his voice and, and trust in his leading, um, that's been so transformational for my life and something that I, I'm so thankful for, you know, but it, it's not something that I just all of a sudden jumped towards leading this huge effort right for this whole hospital. It was like one little step and then another step. So, yeah, I just want to encourage you in that, that if it feels like something that's kind of overwhelming, um, just be open to what that might look like in your context, and it might look really different for you than for me, but, yeah, just be open is important. Thanks, Amanda. Um, when we kind of went through this earlier in the week, something that stood out to me that Amanda shared is, is sometimes it feels like, okay, what am I supposed to go look 
for or find, which there will be opportunities, I believe, if we just kind of open our eyes and see, but sometimes it's really as simple as responding to an invitation, right? A need for peacemaking, they already exist all around us, even in the places we already live and work and spend our time. So it's really neat to see how um, God met Amanda in a place where she was willing to accept that invitation. It wasn't initially the invitation to co-chair or to lead the huge effort, right? And then in her, her faith, in her faithfulness, he has her positioned in this really um, important role, and, and yeah, there's really beautiful things coming from it. So, Katie, will you share with us? So my name is Katie, and I have been at One Life, I think about a year and a half. I kind of started coming right before COVID, and then I was like, oh, I guess this is where I'm going. So um, I got to see a lot of you on Zoom breakout rooms, and you know, so it's nice to, to be back in person. Um, so I grew up in a family and a church that was very committed to following Jesus and to serving Jesus and his people. And so, uh, and in the community I grew up in, I was aware at a very young age of the brokenness around me, especially in contrast to the stability and love that I experienced. And I really felt, um, it, it really struck me, like, this isn't fair. Like, why is there so much brokenness around me when I get to experience stability and love and consistency? Um, and so that led me to start serving in all sorts of ways, from youth group trips to friends at, at school and in my community that didn't know Jesus, um, to internships in college. And I was really led to young children, especially, and like if we can break this cycle early, if we can, can intervene. So I worked with children that were experiencing homelessness, children that were at economic disadvantages, children who were not experiencing consistent love in their birth families. Um, and that was really what drove decisions about school and jobs and, and my life. And God, in, in the last 10 or 15 years, but especially in the last couple of years and months, has really been calling me to do some more assessing of my internal brokenness and some things that I hadn't been aware of or when I became aware I could just avoid because it's easier, right, than, than facing those things. And so that led to a lot of conversations um, with people that were bold enough to call out, like, hey, I think maybe you're avoiding these things, and, and prayer, and counsel, and, and therapy. And, and Meg was a part of, I actually served with her at Solidarity like years ago, um, and then with some of the, the work that she's been doing with coaching, met with her, and so she was aware of like, hey, you've been doing a lot of this work. And so today on the panel, I'm representing a little bit of that, the internal shalom, um, that is such an important part of the external. And I think sometimes, like people don't know what's going on inside, right? So I'm doing all these things and people are affirming all the things and there's things inside that I know I need to deal with, but unless I'm really honest, nobody knows. Um, but God, again, in his, in his knowledge and in his graciousness, brought those things up and I'm, I'm in the process, right? I'm not, I'm not there, but of what bringing wholeness to myself looks like and then how that impacts the, the external shalom that I can also be a part of. Thanks for sharing. Um, I love just the kindness of God to use our, our church community and the body of believers um, to gently but lovingly bring Katie into this awareness. Um, and then again, her response to that invitation. The invitation is a little different. It wasn't to go do something, but to retreat. <laughs> And to come come inside and, and experience what God wants to speak to her there. Miss Martha, will you share with us about your context? My name is Martha Sanería, and I've been working for Solidarity for more than nine years here in the community. I've been working for this work. 
so this is Martha. She's been working for Solidarity for nine nine years already. Uh, and she's blessed uh, by God in, in that. Para mí, estoy bendecida y gracias, Mike, por esta invitación. Aquí en la comunidad he visto tantas experiencias, especialmente con con el grupo de las mamás, eh, tuvimos la oportunidad de, de tener un viaje por primera vez a la playa, eh, 70 personas uh, fueron las que fueron a este viaje y dos de esas familias uh, nunca habían viajado después de haber llegado aquí a este país, en Estados Unidos, eh, estaban tan emocionadas de poder ir a este viaje y llevar a sus hijos por primera vez a este viaje eh, para mí fue grandioso cuando nos subimos al autobús y ver sus caritas de los niños el ver mirar otras ciudades y el que decían oh mira los árboles oh esta es otra ciudad eh, fue hermoso eh, y lo mejor fue cuando llegamos a la playa estaban felices jugaron nos divertimos bailamos um, hubo rifas fue una experiencia maravillosa y, dos de, y las dos mamás me, me agradecieron uh, por haberlas invitado a este, a este paseo y, y agradecieron a, a, a toda la comunidad que, que hace posible estas donaciones para estas familias. En verdad que sí. Um. She forgot. La primera parte. You got all that? Especially when they got to the beach and all the families participated in uh, raffles, they danced, um, you know, uh, they were excited about being at the beach and two of the moms from those families, or the moms from those two families came up to Martha and just thanked her, you know, thanked her for the fact that she gave them this opportunity to be able to travel, not only for themselves, but to be able to bring their families along with them uh, and travel outside of the city. Uh, so. For Martha, it was just awesome uh, and a marvelous experience to just be able to be on the outside looking at how God blessed those families and kind of uh, gave them the opportunity to be able to travel outside the city. So. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> la segunda, la segunda, uh, son 
de, me han impactado mucho, ah, es um, eh, nosotros en México celebramos el Día del Niño eh, y es, es una tradición allá, entonces ah, se nos ocurrió celebrarlo aquí. Ah, nosotros aquí en la esquina tenemos la escuela que se llama Maipo, entonces este, tengo muchas mamás que tienen a sus hijos ahí. Y se me ocurrió la idea de disfrazar a unas mamás junto conmigo y dar a hacer algunas bolsitas metiéndoles a agua, chips, fruta, snacks, cositas así. Y ir a la escuela y donarlas para los niños porque en este tiempo de pandemia no nada más nosotros estamos estresados, estudiantes, especialmente los niños con la educación, por la por todo lo que está pasando de que muchos tienen que estar en, en la escuela este, haciendo la tarea y todo, entonces se nos ocurrió a, a hacer, a festejarlos y pues se me, me hizo lo gracioso disfrazarnos, entonces disfracé a unas mamás y yo, nos pusimos en la esquina, saludamos a los niños, a las mamás, las pocas mamás que iban pasando con sus hijos y fue una, una experiencia maravillosa ver su sonrisa en la cara. Y, ¡Oh, queremos una foto! ¡Gracias por esto! El, el director de la escuela nos dio las gracias, pero todo esto no fue posible, no nomás con las mamás, sino gracias a One Life, que donó para este evento. Eh, de verdad que se hicieron 310 bolsas para los niños. Eh, nosotros ah, quedamos maravilladas y asombradas porque también las mamás aportaron su ayuda, no nada más para, para estar ahí y poderse disfrazar y, y darles una sonrisa a los niños, sino que también cooperaron y para mí eso es algo que las mamás han estado creciendo en, en ver, no nada más siempre recibir, sino también apoyar a nuestra comunidad. Eh, y, y eso es algo que estoy viendo mucho ahorita, gracias, no, yo puedo decir gracias a la pandemia porque he visto tantas cosas, de las mamás que han crecido, que están apoyándose unas a otras, entonces yo puedo decir gracias. Pero también, obvio, hay tantas cosas, hubo tantos, y que siguen tantas um, personas sin trabajo, tantas familias que no tienen uh, su, su seguro médico, en fin, tantas cosas, pero sí, gracias a Dios um, y a esta iglesia que ha, ha aportado mucho en varios eventos que hemos tenido, como el de las mamás, donaron 500 dólares, que yo también ahorita se los agradezco a World Life. Fue la oportunidad de 20 mamás agradecidas, bendecidas por ese, por ese honor de poderlas llevar a un restaurante, tomarles fotos, estar, estar compartiendo, fue maravilloso. Y pues ellas me dijeron que les dijera a ustedes, gracias World Life por estar ayudando a esta comunidad y hacer parte de, de uno mismo, de una misma sola, porque somos una, al final del día somos una sola comunidad y yo agradezco mucho su apoyo económico, pero también siempre sus oraciones sé que están con esta comunidad. Is that there's a holiday in Mexico that they celebrate? It's called uh, Dia de Niño, so in English it's translated uh, Day of the Kid. Uh, so it's just a day in which kids are celebrated, um, but 
Families over here really, really don't celebrate that because we really don't celebrate that over here. Uh, but this year, uh, with everything that was going on because of COVID and stuff, all the hecticness, uh, Martha just had this idea of maybe we should uh, celebrate uh, that holiday and bring it to the families here in the community. And a lot of the families here that she works with and the moms that she um, gathers with, uh, they have kids that go to Maple Elementary, which is right down the street from our church. Um, so through funds donated, uh, through One Life uh, and Solidarity and some of the moms, uh, they were able to um, create like 300, what was it, 310 beds uh, of just snacks. So like you're talking about like fruits, uh, candy, uh, things like that, and hand them out to, to the kids after they got out of school. Uh, and it was just awesome for them to be able to do that because the moms dressed up, and I don't know, there might be pictures somewhere that you guys can look at. So she thought it was very funny, and um, it was funny, but then it was also, it made the kids really excited, right? Because you're coming outside of school, you're like, man, pandemic, blah, blah, blah. And then you look up, and then these, these older ladies, right, dressed up, and you. Uh, so they were super excited. The kids wanted pictures with the moms. Uh, so it brought a lot of joy to them. Uh, and another like awesome thing that Martha was able to witness is just kind of seeing this shift uh, within the moms group where they're no longer just on the receiving end of things, right? Uh, but in this occasion, uh, they were on the giving end of things, right? Because yes, One Life donated, Solidarity put some uh, funds into that, but the moms were willing to put funds into that as well, right? Where they're like, how much can we put in to make this happen? Uh, so it was just awesome to kind of see that um, that happen, right, where the moms are, are giving back to the community and, and they're understanding now that, hey, this is our community. We, we can also give back uh, to the community. And Martha's just grateful, you know, and she's thankful because in the midst of everything that's going on, uh, not only are parents stressed out, but, you know, students are stressed out as well because it's a huge shift for them too. Uh, with some of them going to school, some of them not online classes, it's all hectic, we all know. Uh, but she's super grateful and uh, she also wanted to uh, share with you guys uh, that the moms wanted to personally make sure that Martha said thank you to all of you guys, uh, not just for uh, supporting them and backing them up financially, but just through prayers because they know that our church prays for, for the community and they're really grateful and appreciative of that uh, because they are able to see uh, God's work and, and the way that he's transforming the community uh, and their families as well. Thank you, Martha. Um, when we were sharing earlier this week, there was a couple other sh stories that Martha shared too, and um, one of them was about a mom who had some health issues and had come to her and, and shared that, was looking for a recommendation for um, and, like exercise, somebody like a personal trainer. And Martha said, well, we have YouTube. <laughs> so, so basically gathered moms and started an exercise class here. And it's happening a couple days a week. And how many are there now? Uh, it started with three, two moms and me and I. And then um, some, some days it's 14, some days it's eight, depends. Yeah. So a whole group. And what I loved about, um, if you notice, there's a running theme that's connecting in these these stories. So you could look on one level and see she's coordinating these events, which is awesome because it's bringing community together and that is in, its, in and of itself um, peacemaking. But 
deeper for for two families to trust Martha to take them outside of a city after years and years of never leaving their city <laughs> that's very significant that requires a level of trust in which Martha has created a safe place um, for for women to come and exercise together when there's a health issue there that that requires a lot of vulnerability and trust to know that you're going to be cared for and safe um, there's these emotionally safe spaces I, I don't know about you but I don't know too many middle-aged women that want to dress up in costume and stand in front of the school <laughs> it requires some vulnerability <laughs> it requires some level of, of um, confidence and freedom and joy and I, I know Martha personally and I know that she exudes the fruit of the spirit in this way and so part of, of the peacemaking that she's doing is in the, the overflow of the fruit of the spirit that creates these spaces for these opportunities towards wholeness and new life right um, thank you each for sharing um, we're gonna move into just a few more questions hopefully it won't take too long <laughs> um, but in this series we've been talking about these three guideposts of peacemaking right so this is Meg's summary but the first one was unity with God through his Holy Spirit who is um, our advocate and guide into all truth the second one being love that by receiving and remaining in God's love as we dwell in how Jesus teaches us to love others um, and in this action of love right that we also are receiving love in that and the third being humility. Um, humility is being formed within as we encounter others who don't receive us um, or don't see, or we don't necessarily see the fruit of the efforts um, of the peace that we're trying to sow. So my question was, which of three, these three guideposts resonate with you um, as you've been engaging in peacemaking? And how have these guideposts served as a part of your own spiritual formation journey? Martha, will you share first this one? <laughs> um, para mí la segunda la segunda porque um, por lo de la pandemia uh, el año precisamente en este mes va a ser un año que me dieron la noticia que mi hermana este, estaba enferma uh, la tuve que hice una llamada por video y efectivamente sí estaba muy enferma eh, tuve que hablar con, con Kevin, mi, mi, mi jefe, y hablé con mi esposo también y me tuve que ir a México de emergencia, mi esposo me acompañó, um, fuimos a ver a mi hermana y sí, efectivamente, eh, se suponía que mi hermana iba a ir al doctor por un dolor de estómago, resultó que ya no la dejaron salir y, y tenía, uh, ella no sabía que tenía diabetes, eh, tenía su diabetes tan alta que por eso no la dejaron salir empezaron a tener problemas en su en su estómago ah, tenía gastritis ah, muchos problemas entonces mi esposo ya no pudo quedarse ahí porque iba pasaban los días y no podía salir mi hermana ah, tuve que sacarla de ese hospital donde la tenían porque no la estaban atendiendo bien Um, resultó que, que cuando yo la saqué del hospital en la ambulancia, me dijo el paramédico que um, mi hermana ya estaba en coma diabético y no hallábamos dónde meterla porque los hospitales por lo del COVID ya estaban, um, eh, no había lugar en ningún uh, hospital, entonces no hallaba qué hacer. Uh, 
le recé a Dios en ese momento que me diera la fuerza porque yo iba sola y afortunadamente hubo un hospital donde la pudieron meter pero al meterla me dijo el doctor que mi hermana um, ya no tenía esperanzas sentía que me derrumbaba porque se suponía que nada más iba a ir por un dolor de estómago mi hermana al doctor, entonces cuando me dijo que que me despidiera de ella sentí que mi mundo se acababa porque mi hermana es dos años más pequeña que yo pero tenía que ser fuerte porque tengo todavía a mi madre, entonces el doctor me dijo que hablara con mi familia para ver dónde la íbamos a poner, ah, pero que solamente que, que esperáramos un milagro, porque las circunstancias en las que estaba mi hermana no pues no había esperanzas, entonces este, su sangre, ah, su azúcar estaba muy elevada, estaba en, en coma diabético y tenía más complicaciones, entonces me tuve que ir a mi casa ese día en la noche y empezamos a hacer, a, a hacer todo lo posible por buscar en dónde la íbamos a poner, hablé con Kevin, hablé con mis amigas, hablé con el grupo de las mamás para decirles cómo estaba mi situación, para que oraran por mi hermana, pero el dolor ahí estaba y gracias a Dios iban pasando los días con las oraciones, con las oraciones de todo, de la comunidad, de todos lados, Um, Dios es grande y maravilloso porque <ríe> fue increíble es, es un milagro mi hermana está viva yo la puedo ver y es como si no hubiera pasado nada de verdad son los milagros que hace Dios gracias a las oraciones de todo mundo porque en realidad ella ya estaba muerta y cómo no agradecer y cómo no, yo estoy bendecida con este trabajo porque me gusta ayudar. Y aún más cuando yo he visto el milagro que hizo con mi hermana. Ese es para mí lo mejor, una de las cosas que me ha pasado en la vida y haberla presenciado fue lo mejor. So, um, in regards to what, what Meg asked, um, Martha, uh, this past year she's been able to experience the, the abiding um, in God's love and, and receiving God's love. Uh, precisely uh, this month uh, marks a year since uh, her sister, her younger sister that's two years younger than her, uh, got sick. Uh, so last year around this time, um, her sister had to go to the hospital because she was uh, having stomach pain. And what started off as a simple checkup to see what was wrong with her stomach ended up 
turning into like this huge um, health issue where they realized that she was diabetic, uh, but she was so high in the charge of like being diabetic that they had to keep her hospitalized. Uh, they called Martha and they let her know, like, hey, your sister's really sick. Um, so then Martha had to talk to, to Kevin and, and her husband and let them know the situation. And she had to fly out to, to Mexico uh, because it was an, an emergency. Um, and when she got there, uh, the doctors were, were telling her, you know, that she was uh, diabetic and, and uh, that uh, she had already gone uh, into a, a diabetic coma. Um, and they really, they didn't see any hope in, in uh, her, her sister's situation. And, and the days passed, uh, and her, her husband went with her as well, but he had to come back because he couldn't afford to, to stay there any longer. Uh, so then she ended up staying, and at the hospital that she initially went to, uh, they, they weren't treating her. Uh, so then what ended up happening was that while she was at the hospital, um, she also, she started having like a bunch of issues because she then had like uh, gastritis as well and, and other issues and they had to, she, Martha had, was on her own and she had to figure out how to get her out of the hospital and then put her in another hospital. But when they were looking to see where else they could put her, it was very hard because all the hospitals were full because of the whole pandemic thing. Uh, luckily, she was able to find a hospital where they could place her because she was going to have to head back home soon as well. Um, but she was able to find this hospital and they were going to treat her, but upon arriving there, uh, the doctors looked at Martha and they were just like, there's no, there's no hope in this situation, like, you need to make your arrangements and start, you know, saying your goodbyes because we don't see how your sister's going to get out of this. Um, for Martha was very impactful because it's it's her younger sister, um, and um, she she just felt kind of like this overwhelming, you know, kind of like the weight of the world on her shoulders. She didn't know what to do, and I mean, you know, she was only there to go see, you know, it was it was only supposed to be like a simple stomach issue, and it ended up being such like a a greater issue, um, and. She wanted to break down, but she also had to stay strong because, you know, she also had her mom with her. Um, and basically, she ended up calling Kevin and, and the moms and reaching out to everybody and letting, letting them know of the situation and just asking them, like, hey, can you please, please pray for, for this situation and what's going on because we need, we need God, you know, to work a miracle in this situation. Um, the good thing is, though, uh, that her sister's alive and well. Uh, God pulled through, uh, and she was just able to see, you know, the, the kind of God's, God's hand at work and just the miracles that God is capable of uh, doing. And just also the fact that, you know, that all these people, she loves giving, giving back to people and supporting people and all that stuff, but for her to be, to be on the receiving end of this, and especially in such a, a huge way, uh, just the support from the from the mothers and, and solidarity and, and those around her that, that constantly were praying uh, over the situation. Uh, she's blessed and this is one of her, her greatest blessings in life because now she gets to see her sister and it's as if nothing ever happened to her and she's grateful for that. Thanks for sharing, Martha. It's beautiful. Um, I imagined 
when prompting that question that we would hear a response about loving others, but I thought it was so powerful when Martha um, responded as the recipient of, of being, being able to receive how others have loved her and experiencing God's love in that way. Um, I also was really um, struck and appreciative of, of Amanda's response. So if you want to share um, how kind of the interconnectedness of these three um, guideposts have been meaningful for you. Thank you again, Martha, for sharing that. Um, I just see those three guideposts that we were talking about as being so closely interlinked that we can't just choose one to focus on. Um, you know, it really begins with our relationship with God and our understanding of his great love and mercy for us. And that's the, the truth that we need as a foundation, right? And the outpouring of that is we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, and we're obviously in relationship with so many people around us. Um, the love for others and receiving that love is like the next step as I see it. And it's obviously a difficult one, right? It requires vulnerability, it requires sacrifice and communication and time and all these things. But I feel like it's also one of those great blessings that God gives us and that when we pursue him, it's not like we're just only sacrificing. We get to also just receive this abundance. And it reminds me of the abundance of the kingdom of God too, that um, when we make that effort, right, to maybe build a bridge and, and connect with somebody who's very different than us. Maybe it's a little bit uncomfortable at first or we don't have a lot in common. But then we get that beautiful gift of maybe learning things that we would have never learned otherwise had we not taken that step. So I've really been able to experience that in kind of my own peacemaking journey. And then the third one with humility, I think is so crucial as we're beginning to really step into this work of peacemaking because with, with all of our you know, sinful nature, it gets very easy to be judgmental of other people or wonder you know, why aren't people, other people doing this? Or I know for myself, I can kind of get into that self-righteous place easily too when I'm not um, closely connected to the heart of God. And so when I sense that in myself, right, like becoming a little bit more judgmental and, and harsh and it's not coming out of that like overflow of, of love and desire to, to bring peace to the kingdom of God, then I realize, okay, God, let me come back to you. Let me receive from you. Let me be reminded of what is true. Surround me with people who um, will remind me of that too, right? That's so important, the accountability that we have in our community. And then we just kind of continue that work over and over to humble ourselves, recognize that we need God just as much as, as the next person does and we're not better than anybody else. Uh, but that we all get to participate in this amazing um, work of of contributing to shalom, to restoration and healing. And, and that's something that I've really been reminded of is that it's not our job to save the world, right? Once you start getting into work of like social justice and these things, it can feel very overwhelming. Um, and sometimes like, is what I'm doing even making a difference? And I think that's really the enemy trying to make us doubt that, you know, one person can make a difference, but ultimately God's going to be the one who brings that final restoration. But it really is this beautiful thing that we get to partake in it and that we get to learn so much through that, um, that we get to build closer relationships both with him and with his body of believers um, in that whole process. And it's just, it's a journey, right? It's a step-by-step -step thing. Mm -hmm. um, as we are kind of going to wrap up, I'm looking at the time, I want to um, just acknowledge that in both, both the examples that Martha and um, Amanda shared, you see that there's this kind of internal, external, external, internal, right? There's this movement that happens. So um, Katie, if you could kind of end our time in, in sharing um, this practical walk of peacemaking and seeking shalom is both internal and external. Um, there's an experience of engaging with others and then retreating to find rest and renewal in Christ. 
and there's a journey of pursuing shalom within relationships and communities and broken systems and um, seeking justice, right? But there's also this internal journey of experiencing shalom within your identity and your identity in, in God's, as, as God's beloved. So how have you encountered your belovedness and your brokenness, both within yourself and others? Um, and how have you held the tensions of the hope of shalom and the brokenness of ourselves and humanity? Yeah, I think, I think Amanda articulated really well so much of that. And I think for me, um, especially the way I grew up and the way I responded to it, I knew cognitively God's great love for me, but it was almost like, okay, I got that, so now I'm, I'm going to go out and, and bring this to other people. Um, and I think as I grew up, just as, as, a, as a person, that depth of really understanding God's love for me, it was just like, I felt like that was already a given, right? Like, I got that, so now, but like, we have to keep, that's abiding, right? That's an ongoing term. It's not like, understand God loves you and then don't think about it again. And so I think for me, God's been gently, and more recently a little not so gently, you know, being like, hey, like, you matter in the kingdom too, right? Like, I was so focused on the kingdom is out there, and I have to bring this restoration to the kingdom. But it's like, I'm a part of the kingdom as well. And trying to bring wholeness to others without tending to my own wholeness, it doesn't work. It leads to burnout and resentment and exhaustion. And I think that I just struggle with like, but it's selfish. You know, Paul says like, I pour myself out and we're supposed to seek others good above our own. But I realized and I'm realizing that that, that looks different. Sacrificing, sacrificing my selfish desires and being submitted to Jesus does not mean sacrificing my mental and emotional health, my physical health. That God cares about me too and that I can still sacrifice um, but still be okay and be whole. And that that's actually that foundation that Amanda mentioned. That's what leads to the overflow, right? And that when I've been trying to do it, I felt this burden to save the world and that crushed me, right? And God was like, hey, that's my burden. And as we abide, as we rely on the Holy Spirit, um, then we're able to sustain that work. And that's what we want, right? We want to be able to stay in this for the long haul, not just give bursts of of impact and then burn out ourselves and and there's that relying on other people being in community um and it's hard i think at least for me it's hard to abide because that's vulnerable and because it does focus on me to be real before god and say like i don't always feel like you love me i don't see where you are in this this brokenness in the world is overwhelming and it's not fair and you don't make sense and to do that is vulnerable it's easier to just be like i'm gonna go feed someone right i'll just do it myself um, and so I think that process of letting God care for my soul um, is good for me, and that matters. And then it also makes me more effective in the kingdom. I um, mean, I think that's, that's such, I'm so grateful for that process. And it's not, we're not going to reach wholeness, I think, on, on, on this earth. Um, but as we work towards abiding and seeking that wholeness, I think we will experience more of it in ourselves and in, and in the world around us. So powerful. So powerful. I wish we, you, you should all listen to this on repeat and just soak in that last part because I didn't want it to be rushed, but it's so powerful what Katie is sharing. And so um, thank you each for letting us be able to witness and, and say, there it is. There's the kingdom of God in our midst. Um, I want to encourage you that opportunities to, to engage in the kingdom of God and in the way of Jesus are all around you. Um, it might be responding to an invitation. It, it might be just looking for an opportunity 
start an exercise class, you know, it might be um, listening to the other voices of people who love you and remind you that you are beloved um, and that, that that identity formation is just as important as engaging externally. Um, so thank you each for just your lives and sharing with us. Um, and that's, that's what we have for today in our panel. <laughs> Thank you.